and welcome to the audio choke at MMATorch.com and on iTunes. Um, yeah, good to have you. I'm Greg Rowan. I'm Tobin Shelby. I'm Matt Collins. And let's just dive right into it, man. UFC 111. St. Pierre versus Hardy. Dun, dun, dun. One of my friends thought it was UFC 3. Really? When did they switch to Roman numerals? Never. It's UFC 111. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of the world wrestling. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, well, cool. Now, uh, so what, which one do you want to talk about first? Which main event? Uh, might as well start with the the the, the actual main event, then we can get into the co-main event. Okay. Right. George St. Pierre versus Dan Hardy. Yeah, yeah St. Pierre had uh, Dan Hardy uh, smothered and covered like Waffle House hash browns. That's right. You wrote that down, didn't you? It was a Bloodhound Gang lyric. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I've never heard of it. Yeah, Dan Hardy spent about... Oh, what was that? Twenty-four and a half minutes laying on his back in that fight. Yeah. There was very brief periods of stand-up at the beginning of every round, and he managed to to squeak his way back to his feet a couple times here and there. But and there was uh, there was no time that George St. Pierre was entertaining the thought of standing up with uh, Hardy, and Hardy offered no resistance to the takedowns compared to George St. Pierre. And even it didn't even look to me like he was trying, which is probably. Smart in a way because you know he's not going to defend them, so why waste the energy and maybe try to work the ground game? But he he was clearly outmatched on the ground, so it was a, a an extremely dominant fight where you never really gave Hardy much of a chance. I mean, even I, I even almost freaked out when he rolled for a submission for like that one second. He tried to like he went for like a triangle or something, and he didn't really have it close. But I was like, for that one split second, like if he pulls off a submission on GSP, I'm going to have a heart attack. I literally would have died. And here you are, <laughs> alive and okay. Yes, because George St. Pierre won by decision. The universe did not implode upon itself. Everything that pretty much everyone thought about yep. happened. Except for uh, Dan Hardy didn't tap out, and he has both of his arms somehow. Yeah, well, the uh, the arm bar, it, it looked really tight, but I could see how... Uh, how Dan Hardy was able to kind of get out of that one. George St. Pierre didn't really clamp his legs together, which is really helpful for uh, making a fulcrum to, to break the arm upon. Um, it was certainly tweaking the hell out of the shoulder, but, uh, I mean, I guess Dan Hardy's got very nice, uh, flexible shoulders, and he managed to roll around and uh, escape from that one. The Kimura, on the other hand, I don't know how he survived that one. I mean, that looked uh, a lot like the one where uh, Shinya Aoki broke the arm of the other guy at New Year's Eve. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, George St. Pierre even, you know, he did a lunging tweak there. He, he twisted his whole body into it. And, uh, I mean, I, I think after that he didn't want to do it a second time because it looked like he kind of just let go of the move after that. But Well, yeah, like there's a minute, and I couldn't tell if he was looking up to talk to his corner or to, to look at the ref or something, but there was like he had Hardy in, in the move and he just held it for a while and then he looked up and he's like, oh, okay, um... What else do you do? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, that's something I kind of noticed. I guess uh, you know, obviously, George St. Pierre is a very good corner and you know, good coaches and whatever. But he just seems to be kind of a a tool through them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't. Am I? Am I he'll completely off base? I mean, he'll, he'll definitely do what his corner man says. I was actually getting a little mad at his corner man though. Um, Greg Jackson was overheard saying like, "Don't pass his guard this round. Just just stay in his guard." And it's like. Really, man? Like, that's not going to... I mean, I guess if you just work on your ground and pound instead of uh, spend the energy trying to advance the position, then you'll probably do a little more damage. 
but you're significantly less uh, likely to finish the fight there, and uh, you know that also leads to some pretty boring fighting. So, yeah. but he uh, won. Yeah, he, he won, and he did actually pass the guard that round. He just waited a while to do it. Um, but yeah, it would have been nice to to see him go for a choke at some point in that fight because he took his back like four times, right? Yeah. Well, and I mean he. Uh, he clearly wasn't tapping out to the arm locks, so right. <laughs> maybe go for a uh, a next submission, because if he doesn't tap out to that, he can just fall asleep. You don't have to feel bad about breaking his arm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny, because, you know, before we started, when I was prepping for the show and kind of just reading up on stuff online, just thinking about the fight, you know, like, I, I almost wanted to, like, preface what we were going to say about this by saying, let's be clear, George St. Pierre won every second of this fight. Dan Hardy had nothing substantial offensively to offer, because I knew we were going to get into this nitpicky thing and, like, you know, about, like, yeah, George St. Pierre won, but he didn't do this, and you know, we, rightfully so. That's what we should kind of get into about you know what could a what each fighter could improve upon or offer in their next fight, that sort of thing. But it, without making it sound like we're saying George St. Pierre fought a bad fight because he well, totally dominated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But when you're talking about guys like George St. Pierre or B.J. Penn or Anderson Silva or Fedor, you really kind of hold these guys to a higher standard than your average fighter. That's our own dumb fault. I'll be honest. I mean, well, I, I agree with you, but yeah, I, I think that goes for just about anyone who is, yeah. you know, talking about this. When you're talking about a guy who is not just like a champion, but like a dominant champion, right, right, and somebody who's just destroying people, and you know, you, you go into the fight like people were talking about, like, what round is Dan Hardy going to lose in? Exactly. They, they weren't saying like, you know, does he have a chance? They were saying like, how long is this going to take George St. Pierre to win? Right. And when you're in a situation like that, much like the next BJ Penn fight against Frankie Edgar, where people are like, there's not a whole lot of people entertaining the idea that Frankie Edgar is going to win that fight. Uh, they're more talking like, how and when is BJ Penn going to win? Right. And when you get in a talk like this, that puts pressure on the guy who is the, the extremely heavy favorite to put together a more spectacular victory. And... While George St. Pierre is extremely dominant, he's not extremely spectacular um, in these recent wins. Uh, so I think that's where that comes from. Right. Yeah, and I agree with that. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not against, you know, spectacular finishes and stuff. But, I mean, I, I, again, it's go, it almost goes back to it, it's it's an unfair pressure to put on someone, I think. And, and granted, I, I want to see exciting finishes as a fan. But at the same time, it's hard for me to fault a guy who's uh, – is is conservative in his fight methods. Uh, it was interesting, uh, George St. Pierre actually, uh, I got caught a part of his interview at the post-fight press conference that the UFC had, and he was basically talking, and he, he made, uh, for people who said the fight was boring, he didn't help his case at all because he brought math into it, which is no good, <laughs> but he started talking about how, you know, he, he was looking at it from like a percentage standpoint, he's like, uh, you know, he was fighting the fight to exploit his opponent's weaknesses, and Dan Hardy is much more vulnerable on the ground than he is standing up, and uh, GSP basically said, you know, even though I think, you know, yeah, I probably could beat Dan Hardy standing, um, that's a much closer match, whereas I have a much higher percentage or a po much higher possibility of dominating and achieving victory by using my wrestling, by using my ground game. So um, I, I get that. But, yeah, it is as a, from a fan's perspective, you know, it's like if you were expected to win and no one really gave this other guy a chance, why didn't you, uh, you know, do something a little more flashy? And now they're really chomping at the bit for him to lose, that's what, you know, people are really looking forward to now. It's like they want that person who will stop those takedowns, who will punch him in the face because <laughs> his, chin, his chin is a bit of a, a, a commodity or whatever, you know. And, uh, and that's, I think, where the, where the fans are going now is to see someone dethrone this uh, 
this guy. Well, yeah, well, that's always the interesting thing with dominant champions in general is you have the uh, the people who want to see, you know, who's the person who gets, who's going to beat them, and that that should always, you know, that that's always the most intriguing matchup is, you know, how how could this challenger beat the champion, the long reigning champion, but. And not to say that won't ever happen again, but we've gotten to a point with a lot of the the champions, you know, be it a BJ Penn or an Anderson Silva or George St. Pierre, where it's not necessarily like, oh, how is this guy going to beat him so much as um, the champion's taking on another challenger? How much longer is the champion going to keep rolling over guys? Or, or how much is the, how much longer is the champion going to continue his, his reign of dominance? And those are kind of, those should both, those kind of narratives in the sport should both be interesting, I think. But but the one where you have a challenger who could who people see on paper could beat the champion is much more interesting than having a, a long reigning champion taking on everyone put in front of them, despite their quality. You know, it's it's uh, you know it basically the UFC is put in the spot where it's like okay, well we'll just keep throwing guys at GSP, you know, guys who are fighting in the upper parts of the division and string together a few wins and who haven't lost to GSP before. We'll throw those guys in there and then maybe eventually we'll give rematches to other guys. And it's not necessarily about um, throwing, uh, giving GSP an opponent who has specific tools that everyone thinks, oh, he can beat GSP with this. You think uh, John Fitch would have a chance after that? You, both using similar styles, and John Fitch, uh, John Fitch being uh, booed out of the arena for using a, a similar uh, well, he's strategy. Not, yeah, he's, he's not, not nearly as beard. pretty as George St. Pierre. Yeah, the uh, beard. Yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> He, he really hasn't shown anything that would suggest that he could win. Um, they fought a couple years ago, um, and George St. Pierre won every minute of that fight. Uh, it, it was a complete domination for five rounds, much like this uh, fight with Dan Hardy. And John Fitch really hasn't shown that he has changed at all since then. He still does the exact same thing he did in his eight-fight win streak leading up to that title shot. So, you know, sometimes somebody loses and they go back to the drawing board and they become this newer, better fighter. And uh, while John Fitch is still probably the second best in the world at that weight, um, he still does the same thing he did before and just George is better at that. So yeah. I wouldn't really expect him to... I wouldn't even really expect him to get a title shot after this win, um, even though he is probably the most, like, he's certainly the highest ranked contender. Uh, just because nobody's going to be excited about it, and nobody's really going to expect to see him win. Um, I could see a couple of different guys getting the, the title shot before him. Right, well, and I think that's the situation that that's how Dan Hardy got the title shot, because you look at credentials and you look at resumes, Dan Hardy didn't have nearly as many uh, you know meaningful wins in the UFC compared to some of his uh, the other uh, higher-end uh, welterweights, but because the number two and number three guys had already fought and lost to GSP, you know, you you got to keep throwing fresh guys in there at least a bit before you end up giving more rematches. But uh, what you were mentioning about uh, John Fitch, you know, not not necessarily bringing anything new since his his one loss in the UFC. Basically, he's undefeated in the UFC except for against the champion. Yeah, and there's no shame yeah. in that. Oh, exactly. But it's it, it's I guess it kind of goes back to the idea that we have this the it's the weird mix of the sport and the entertainment where we talk about you know. If you look at you know the record and everything, John Fitch absolutely deserves a rematch. Rematch. He's only lost to the champion, and he's you know on a four-fight win streak, uh, taken on you know and really dominated most of his opponents. But because he's he's not, it's the same thing. He doesn't. He's not getting the uh, the fan support because he's he's a he's a boring fighter, and 
because you know uh, the the top UFC you know the UFC brass is kind of in the same thing is like well he's not he's not bringing anything new to the table and he's not offering excitement you know whereas you know if you look at a, a a stick and ball sport you know or you know your regular kind of sports that you know records alone that's you know like the the teams with the best records in theory end up eventually playing each other you know whether that be you know through the uh, the course of a season or you know, in the playoffs, the teams that win the most end up playing each other eventually. Whereas it's, it has nothing to do with whether Team A is more exciting. It's who mm-hmm. who who wins. But when, and, and I know mm-hmm. it, I, I hate comparing the MMA to like traditional sports, but uh, that's it's okay. It's an opinion way. show. You can do yeah. that. I just don't like to. Well, one thing about that is real quick yeah, is yeah. Uh, fighters only fight on a good year three times. Right. And uh, you know it, it, if. People always like to take it to the extreme where they they compare it to like the NBA or something like that. Like the best two teams will always play each other in the final, or you know the best, at least the teams with the highest records on the opposite sides of the bracket. They will always fight it, uh, play against each other. But you know, it's like you, you can't have this huge tournament format in any of the combat sports. It's the same with boxing, where it, it's not only that they're yeah. trying to put on a show that people are gonna watch, but it's like you you can't. Uh, mathematically do that uh, in a sport where people are only competing a couple times a year. But um, as far as uh, contenders for George St. Pierre goes, since, uh, I mean, John Fitch, he's got a chance, but I would consider it pretty unlikely. Dana White's not a fan. Yeah, Dana White is not a fan of John Fitch, I would imagine, uh, his style, but also he isn't big on the rematches. I can see the winner of the Josh Koscheck uh Paul Daly fight getting it, even though the Koscheck fight would be a rematch, but that was actually a fairly interesting match the first time they had it. And it wasn't for it wasn't for the belt. I mean the first Yeah, time. it was a three rounder. And uh, you know, people kinda of forget it, but Koscheck did win a round in that fight. It was twenty nine twenty eight. I think he's the ooh, he's one of the one of the last guys to actually win a like a, a round against GSP. I think he is actually yeah. the last one. And um I mean, he, he scored a few takedowns, which, uh, you know, who else can you remember scoring a takedown against GSP really mm. ever? I think Matt Hughes did the first time they fought, but, uh, you know, that was a, that's a long time ago. So I think that would be an interesting fight. And then Paul Daly uh, is, you know, kind of another Dan Hardy-esque uh, matchup. But, you know, it's uh, is a guy with knockout power who uh, will probably get taken down over and over again. But right. and, and what else can you do? He, he's He's... Yeah, he, he's someone who hasn't fought GSP before, which, yeah, know, and he, he's got the, uh, I guess, the ability to sell fights, but yeah, so I, I think we'll see a mixture of kind of, it really does, I think, depend on how that Koscheck daily fight pans out. Uh, um, if Daly card. wins that, I could yeah. see him getting the shot, and again, it would not like it would be, I think he'd do worse on the ground than Dan Hardy did. Yeah. I, I can't imagine him lasting an entire fight against GSP. I mean, I remember Jake Shields was able, able to submit him, and, uh, you know, for as, as, as bad as Dan Hardy was against defending takedowns, and, you know. He did survive submission attempts. Uh, I can't imagine Daly doing doing better than that. But it's just the idea of, like, hey, this guy's, you know, gone on a four-fight tear and, like, knocked out all these guys, blah, 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 and he's never fought GSP. So there's always uh, mm. that. Another possibility would be uh, Paulo Tiago, who has been very impressive in his wins. Um, he's just a little uneven at times. Yeah. So uh, he didn't do too good against, uh, once again, John Fitch. Uh which, that's the big problem there, because, uh, you know, once again, George St. Pierre is just a, a bit better at John fitch in opponents than John <laughs> Fitch is himself. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Everyone wants to see George St. Pierre move up and wait, I think. 
Yeah, but I don't think that's going to yeah, happen. Not going to happen. No. All right. Uh, uh, oh, really quick, I just had an interesting thought. You know, at the end of the, uh, I actually checked out an interview with Dan Hardy, uh, video interview, like right, you know, the the night of the fight, and um, compared to the last people George St. Pierre has fought, Dan Hardy came away with very little damage. I mean, I'm sure his arms are in. I yeah. would imagine pain unless he's Gumby at this point, which would be a good nickname for him to try out. I know the outlaw's all cool, but Gumby might be a good one. Um, but, I mean, he, he, again, there's not a lot of positive things you can say for him other than he didn't tap out, which is, he, I guess, he exceeded his expectations in that way because people expected him to lose, expected him to get submitted. He did ground, say he wouldn't tap out. Right, or ground and pounded. So, I mean, people did not expect him to go the distance to GSP, but he was on bottom the whole time. He didn't, nothing substantial. But he did a much better job of avoiding damage or, you know, not taking as much damage physically as, say, John Fitch or Tiago Alves, who John Fitch looked like he got hit by a truck. Yeah, he was pretty mangled. And, you know, Alves didn't look horrible, but, he, you know, he had the swollen face a bit, and, you know, he, you could see he had, had a bit more damage. And, you know, I, I honestly don't know if, I mean, I know Hardy landed a few elbows from, from bottom. I mean, GSP was technically maybe even more cut up than Dan Hardy, but I, I actually don't know if those are from training beforehand or not, but, you know, for, for superficial damage at least. Um yeah, and I think... Uh, Still got yeah. manhandled, though. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Again, this is going back to, like, if you're going to take any positives from it... Uh, I, if you it can this match positive. made me like, you know, Dan Hardy yeah. far more than any, you know, than I ever would have. Like, right. you know, I was like, hey, all right, I came away with a positive right. image of, you know, yeah, Dan that, Hardy. That, that punk guy's got heart. <laughs> right, exactly. Like, the heart... I mean, again, if, if you're going to take any positives, yeah, he got dominated, but, you know, he, he showed... He showed uh, resilience, that sort of thing. So that's uh, after the fight, I was commenting to one of my friends, like, hey, you know, like when he walks out next time, they'll be able to put the uh, the durable or uh, resilience <laughs> descriptor underneath his name when he walks yeah. out. Yeah, Teflon Hardy or something. So, so that's, uh, that's interesting, at least, you know, some, something to consider. Um, yeah, considering the, the quality of... Because people beforehand said Dan Hardy didn't really deserve the shot, and you can make that argument easily. But uh, compared to, you know, the last two people who fought, or the last several people who fought GSP, who are arguably much better fighters than Dan Hardy, came out looking much worse than he did. So he, he's got that going for him, and a red mohawk. Absolutely. <laughs> all right, so we're all wrong in this room, but I am perhaps the wrongest. Uh, You're wronger. I'm the wrongerest. Well, that's because you were just the most specific yes. in your yeah. wrongness. So Frank Mir did not beat Shane Carwin by submission Oops. in the second round. Yeah. <laughs> but I went out there. I went on a limb. You and, did. Uh, and, you know, we, we all kind of said, like, uh, with this match, because, you know, that was really kind of the ones, like, a lot of matches are pretty uh, easy to predict sometimes, at least to get kind of close to it. might not you know, be easy to predict the round that something happens, but you'd be like, you know what, this guy's got the, the takedown, so he'll get that, and then once he's on the ground, he'll probably, you know, do this. Um, but that fight, there was just so many question marks, and really uh, it was hard for a lot of people to uh, to to have a good idea of what was going to happen. And... Uh, you know, like Frank Mir's gotten a lot bigger, so how much stronger is he going to be? But he uh, he was not the one pushing Shane Carwin at all. We and, we we know nothing new. Still, yeah, no, no. yeah. <laughs> that was Shane Carwin's longest fight, I think. Uh-huh. Yes, by about a minute. <laughs> yeah, which was interesting. No, um, yeah, I remember last week when we were kind of predicting the fight. Um, I didn't think it would get out of the first round, and you know, I went Frank Mir submission. But uh, to save myself a little bit. I said, you know, Shane Carwin could win this because I, I could see him doing the same kind of thing that Brock Lesnar did to Frank Mir is smothering him and punching him in the face, which is what happened, only it happened up against the cage as opposed to on the ground. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, yeah. you, you were the rightest wrong. I was, I was closer to being, uh, no, we're, we're still all wrong. But, yeah, no. I, I mean, that's fine. That, yeah. that could completely happen because we all knew going into it what yeah. kind of fighter we know Shane Carr went to be. You know? Yeah, we're, we're here to talk about the fights, not uh, not be psychics. So, yeah. No, yeah, no. and we know what Frank Amir offers for the most part because, you know, he's been around plenty. Uh, Carwin, there's a lot more question marks. There's still plenty of question marks. We know he can do four minutes now. We don't know if he can do five. Um, that's the next big test for him, I guess, against Brock Lesnar. I guess the the other important thing is if it matters. I mean, but yeah, we'll well, if he keeps putting guys out, you know, I'm gonna think Brock Lesnar is gonna go for the takedown in this fight. You got to. Um, no taking it. You know, one's seen how Shane Carwin does in that position. Um, suppo- they were saying that Shane Carwin's got uh, excellent wrestling credentials. That's what I've heard before, but I've never really got the chance to see it in a fight because he keeps knocking fools out. Yeah, I know he has a wrestling background. I don't think it's as, like, you know, uh, credentialed as, like, a Brock Lesnar like a, at a lower weight class, like a Josh Koscheck, that sort of thing. But, yeah, he does have a wrestling background. So, that's going to be maybe his first test where, uh, you know, somebody puts him on his back and, uh, you know, maybe he won't be able to get up right away. Um, and Brock Lesnar has shown that he can fight for at least three rounds. So, let's see if... Uh, if uh, Shane Carwin could handle that. That said, I don't think Brock Lesnar wants to stand with Carwin. He kind of got spooked a little bit by Mears striking in their second fight. So, uh, yeah, you know, Carwin did some really good, uh, threw some really nice tight short uppercuts uh, against the, uh, I mean, that's basically what led to the end of the fight. But, yeah, the rocking the dirty boxing there was pretty impressive. Yeah, so. he really did a Randy Couture style <laughs> of attack, just hits a million times harder than Randy Couture does. Yes. Which made it significantly more effective. So what was up with Mir? I mean, he did, did he think that he, he was a stand-up fighter all of a sudden? He just, like, gained that weight, and, you know, he just wants to show Brock that, you know, these fists are coming for you again, or... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid to enter the mind of Frank Mir for a new, numerous reasons, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just from, like, an outward, you know, the, the armchair quarterback perspective, I mean, even when he got put up against the cage, it was just like he was kind of holding on and waiting for to get punched in the face or something. I, I thought he would have, you know, like, gone to guard or either tried for a takedown or something, but he just didn't really even... Yeah, he was just kind of seemed to be content to stand there. I mean, it, it looked like, and yeah, I, I don't know. I, that That is the danger of having newfound striking ability is you don't go to what you're... I mean, because he's still one of the best heavyweights on the ground. Oh, yeah, no, he'll have and, a job, man. Oh, he's oh, awesome. Oh, yeah, I'm not... Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to think about firing Frank Mir, no. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, I wasn't going there. No. I know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I I think it's definitely a possibility when someone, you know, has, has this newfound striking ability or, you know, has demonstrated that they do have now knockout power, that sort of thing, that they might, they could possibly try and rely on that too much and not go with what they're they're better at. And I, I don't know if that happened this fight or not. Maybe he just got stunned early and he never was able, able to get back in the fight. But Well, um... While Frank Mir has excellent ground game and he's got some pretty good takedowns, if Carwin has this uh, you know good wrestling background, it, Mir could have gone in there uh, really with the same strategy he went into with the first Brock Lesnar fight. He was like, I'm just going to work on my stand-up because yeah. I'm not going to be able to get this guy down. And, um, I mean, really that was kind of a wrestling match that never went to the ground. It was kind of a... Kind of a weird match because I mean he he was pinning him he was just pinning yeah. him vertically up against the cage, but there's also I mean I think a, a good possibility that Mir may have underestimated Carwin's punching power because yeah. when's the last time you've seen a guy get knocked out with punches like that and those were not big punches right and well I mean 
Carwin's kind of like one of the first guys to do that because Gonzaga, when he fought Gonzaga, kind of go down with a jab almost. I mean, yeah, I mean it was a short punch. Yeah. And I mean, clearly us being the armchair uh, quarterback guys, we can look at that and be like, oh yeah, it's a terrible idea. But you know, uh, there's also some bravado that goes in there sometimes. Like, oh, my team can take a few of these. He's not going to knock me out up against a cage with a three-inch punch. But uh, you know, if anyone can do it, it's Carwin. Yeah. And uh, I mean, clearly that's what happened. Um, but that's a position where you're not normally in that position thinking, I'm going to lose the fight right now. Right. So, I mean, I, I don't see why you would normally, like, rationally freak out about being pinned up against the cage. Usually when you're in a situation like that, you're worried about the takedown. And I don't think Mira's too worried about the takedowns usually. So I think he was maybe a little bit more comfortable just because of uh, what would normally, normally be conventional wisdom. Right. But wasn't in this case. Did not uh, not happen. So uh, what do we? Uh, Shane Carwin's obviously got the title shot against Brock, and is you know Shane Carwin with his fake belt and Brock Lesnar with his real belt. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't agree more. Which uh, you know, I, I was I was watching with friends, and one of my friends, he's uh, he he really loves MMA, but he's he's quickly outraged about things. He got upset. We'll talk about more about the the submission that didn't get let go immediately. He kind of got upset about that, and just really hates Brock Lesnar, as you know most most UFC fans do at this point. But uh, you know when Brock Lesnar got in there and started talking trash and. I, I kind of found it more amusing than anything. Yeah. He basically he actually did tell he was hey Shane good good fight. And they shook hands before like it yeah. seemed really yeah. mutual but, like they yeah. obviously you know have respect and, for each other. And, and, and he and dropped the fake belt thing and I kind of laughed because it, it it is a fake belt and mm-hmm. no offense at all Shane Carwin earned that interim title shot but the champions he's going to fight the champion next you know it's, and Shane Carwin agreed completely yeah, exactly. he's just like you know it's just for show it's just yeah. for Dana White to yeah. you know have an excuse yeah. to get in the ring and you know do yeah. his uh, little thing and but, it, yeah. it, it could have potentially been a five round fight which is always fun I mean yeah. I remember uh, that's the thing I like about it, interim belts you yeah know, you get a five round fight yeah I remember when uh, when uh, George St. Pierre versus Matt Hughes 3 came down the pipe, and they're like, oh, yeah, George St. Pierre has stepped in on this fight. We're like, oh, well, that's cool. We'll get to see George St. Pierre against Matt Hughes again. And they're like, it's going to be a five-round fight because they're adding a new belt. And it's like, yay! Uh, it, it doesn't always necessarily play out to be a, a five-rounder, as in neither of those cases did it. Yeah. But it's always just nice to know that, you know, it's going to be a, a special championship, even if it's not the championship. Um, it, it just adds a little something for the the fight, and you know that that guy, like he is the number one contender, man. And now yeah. it's not like he wins that fight, and Dana White's later gonna be like, eh, I like this guy better. Right, yeah, um, that's never happened. Yeah, <laughs> no, but it, it is. It's like a. It's a guarantee. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So. I'm a little. I was thinking about a little, little bit about um. When you're, you know, is Brock Lesnar at a severe disadvantage? Because this is going to be his first fight coming back uh, off of an injury. Is it better to have some fights uh, underneath your belt, or is it best just to rest up and do that proper training? You both look like you have a lot of opinions on this, so go ahead. I just want to throw my stress ball at you. No, but uh, you know, I thought it was. Uh, I think no, it's a no, legitimate a question. question. Um, you know, uh, it, it's hard to say. Yeah, there's something to be said for ring rust, but at the same time, Lesnar's still relatively new to MMA, so. Having more time to train actually isn't a bad thing. I mean, would that be the way? I mean, is that just kind of like the best way for any fighter in general? Is that a rule of thumb? Like the more training, the more rest, the more of a controlled environment you have, the 
the better the, your next match could be? You know, I don't think that's true for everyone. I mean, there's certainly a lot to be said for, you know, having the momentum behind you and all that. But I mean, Brock Lesnar's still learning the game of MMA, you know. So, yeah. So he has more time to put in work on things he needs to improve on. And, and certainly ring time, you know, like in, in front of, like, in the octagon itself is probably, you know, very helpful. But at the same time, he, he has time to drill and work on more more stuff. In uh, in the case of an up-and-comer, I think they, those guys like to get more fights in because they get the experience from all of them. And uh, generally speaking, they'll be less banged up after, uh, you know, fighting against a guy who, who uh, you know, is more of a journeyman type of guy as they're building their resume. But, I mean, if you're talking about a guy who's already the champion, uh, you know, I mean, Brock Lesnar is already expected to compete at those levels. And, uh, you know, he, he certainly wants to get the rest in and, and get all healed up from, uh, you know, everything. I don't, I don't know how good of tip-top shape he's in yet. Mm. But also, I mean, like, if you want to talk about giving him a fight uh, against, you know, somebody that's going to be an easier win for him, that means this car win fight isn't going to happen until December, and that means that some guy who doesn't deserve the title shot is going to be getting it, you know, this summer, which just seems like a, an unfair situation in a number of ways. And then if that guy, you know, say Brock Lesnar has lost it, that guy manages to win. He's like, then you're going to have some completely undeserving challenger, and, uh, you know, you, you lost the big Brock Carwin fight. Yeah. Um, it would be one thing if, like, Lesnar had, you know, because for a while they weren't sure how long he was going to be out and re- relinquish the belt, uh, then then you can definitely give him, like, a yeah. a tune-up fight, more or less, come back before he challenges again for the belt. But, I mean, he, he held on to it. Um, I, but, yeah, I mean, in general, not, maybe not necessarily, like, the long layoff, but coming back from an injury in general probably A huge in, injury. Right, yeah. So we don't know what kind of shape he's going to be. From that perspective, yeah, I'd say he's at a disadvantage. But for the just just time away in general isn't necessarily always a bad thing. Yeah, okay. I will agree with the, uh, the, the relinquishing the title thing. Um, that happened with Frank Mir, actually, when he was the champ back in 2004, and he had his motorcycle injury. And he was out of action for, like, 18 months or something, a year and a half. And uh, in that time, Arlovsky won the interim belt, which just graduated into being the real championship when they realized that Mir wasn't coming back anytime soon. And, uh, you know, they just they didn't throw Mir right in with the title. Um, and actually, I think Tim Sylvia had won the title, like, right around the time that Mir came back anyway. I don't remember which was first. But, um, you know, they gave him some warm-up fights, and it's a good thing they did because he wasn't, you know, back in uh, competing shape then, but he was also probably worse off than uh, Brock Lesnar was. Brock Lesnar was um, certainly bad off, but he healed really quickly uh, once they got the once they got it under control. Uh, you know, Mir he uh, completely snapped his leg and was completely unable to train for a very significant amount of time. So when he came back, he was not the same for like two years. Right. I mean, it's impressive all that he's been able to come back from. I mean, it was a pretty pretty bad wreck. So. Um, another thing in the uh, Mir Carwin fight is, uh, and it's a problem that I had with uh, uh, quite a bit of the the show was the the ref uh, the ref late stoppage there. Okay. And then it seemed like that did go on a bit longer. That, that was he was like obviously way out, but he could have. I mean, the ref could have stopped it. You know, yeah. even ten. 11 seconds before that, you know. And I, I know that uh, Mir had one good last scramble in him, probably out of, you know, instinct and stuff like that. And right. Carwin got three really good, clean shots, you know, right in there. And that was kind of a problem I had with a lot of the pay-per-view was yeah, well, those refs. Yeah. In this fight, um, it, it went on a little long. Um, 
I, I wouldn't say it was a huge thing in this particular fight. Um, but Carwin did land a few more shots than I would have personally liked him to have landed. But because Frank Mir was fighting back for a lot of it, or at, you know, defensively fighting back, he was trying to trying to scramble, and he he did go for that little uh, takedown there at the end. But Carwin sprawled that and hit him again, and then Mir went flat, and that was when you know, in my opinion, the ref should have got it got in there. But Carwin did land a couple more shots after uh, Mir went flat, so that was. Uh, that was a little bit of a bummer, but I think you might be referring to the uh, the submission. The submission I had a real uh, problem with. I had, a, I had a problem with a you know the, the stand up during the uh, the John Fitch well, fight. Even, even the Frank Mir Shane Carwin fight didn't the ref separate them once when they were uh, yeah yeah when they're up against Cage. And yeah. I, I don't think they had you know I thought they were still working, but uh, yeah it was uh, always Mangles last name Dan Mergliata was a. Uh, uh, that was he was doing the Frank Mir Shane Carwin fight. He wasn't. It right. was, he wasn't. He was one, also doing the Fitch. That was the the Fitch fight where yeah. he, I I believe Fitch was you know working throwing punches. Might have even been in half guard. It wasn't and, wasn't fun. It wasn't pretty. But you know he was yeah. he was working it and he stopped. Right. Uh, you know he broke those guys up. So that's twice always, during that. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and as far as the stoppage goes with the punches, then we can kind of move on. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that's uh, it's. Maybe I'm a bit sensitive to it since. No, no as well you should. Uh, you mean, know, my my passion is just now. Getting right. going, you know, so I try to, you know, I'm actually feeling the sport a little bit, right. you know. I, and I think part of it has to do, and not like it's an excuse necessarily, but I think part of it has to do with, like, it, it was a title fight and it, it's two uh, bigger name fighters, more experienced fighters, that sort of thing, where the ref might be giving them the benefit of the doubt. Whereas, like, if, you know, it's a younger fighter, a guy who doesn't have as many fights under his belt, you know, you want to stop it or stop it earlier. Whereas, you know, like a, a, an experienced veteran, you you know, like oh, you know, get let them have, a, you, you know, make sure the fight's finished. And, and not you don't want to see someone injured, but you know, like yeah. you, you give them that extra second or two, to, like maybe you can recover that sort of thing. Well, it wasn't the grossest case, you know, right. well, and, and during that it, show. I think it. I think it helped that Mir was face down, so it wasn't like unprotected shots to his face that he was taking. He was taking them kind of to the side of the head, mm-hmm. where Carwin can't really like haul off on him because he's. Doesn't want to hit him directly in the back of the head. Yeah. But yeah, no. It, it, anytime there's kind of like a, a few extra punches, you know, it's always like that's going to be the one. Yeah. The uh, uh, I got you. Especially yeah. with uh yeah with Carwin and he's, and he's the, got some big hands. He, he, they're freaking huge. <laughs> they're like and, toasters. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Brock Lesnar's head looks really small compared <laughs> to his body, so I'm interested to see how that yeah, goes. Yeah, Brock Lesnar looks to me when he's wearing a suit like the like, Goombas from the Super <laughs> Mario movie. What a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the one I had a real problem with was the was, was the leg lock, you know, yeah. a potential career, you know, ending, uh, uh, you know, ending move there. Yeah. And I've been talking to some people, and they are a little bit more blasé about it than I was, you know. Some people are just used to that stuff, I know. Yeah. I was, I was one of my friends, yeah, I was talking to him about it, and yeah, he, he's like, that guy should be kicked out or blah, 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 blah. And he did get he get 90-day suspension, uh, uh, horrible thing, uh, Husamar Polaris, I believe. Polaris, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, he got a 90-day suspension, which, you know, that's, aside from Babalu getting kicked out after holding on for a choke for way too long and then basically not apologizing and saying he did it on purpose, you don't hear too much about people getting suspended for stuff like that. You always have the medical suspensions, that sort of thing. But, 
Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you know, he tapped, and that's fine. And, like, yeah. some people and you know, in some cultures and everything, you know, you wait until the ref. Right. That's uh, that's the understandable. Yeah. The ref got there. Got him a couple pushes. And, yeah. you know, let's just take out the equation of Joe Rogan counting the thing off in slow motion. You know, yeah, that like, was pretty Joe, funny. Come on, it's five <laughs> seconds slow motion time. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the, the ref had to get, you know, two good pushes in there before yeah. the guy broke yeah. it. And I get it. You're in the ring. You're all pumped up. And that guy is a real... Is a firecracker, you know, yeah. like he he was uh, he was ripped, but uh, you know, slipping on a Bud Light logo, yeah. you know, does not warrant uh, a career-ending injury. Once again, Bud Light foils the career of another fighter. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure this is the exact same logo that Patrick Costey slipped on, right? Against Anderson Silva, I couldn't tell you. I'm assuming it's the exact same. <laughs> but yeah, I mean that that's a, a, a real career threatener. It's not the same as getting choked where you you, you fall asleep and uh, you wake up and you're like, damn it. He should have let go. Um, you know, that, that guy was in serious pain. He was tapping furiously. And, I mean, yeah, you, you wait for, the, uh, you wait for the, the ref to stop in terms of letting go, but I mean, you don't even need to necessarily crank it as hard. It's not like anyone's going to say he wasn't tapping. This has happened in the past, but I, I agree with you in general. But, yeah, I mean, there has been those weird, rare few examples where a guy taps out and is like, I didn't tap. You know. Uh, that could happen. That right. could. And and, and I, I've said career-ending injury, and, you know, there's no evidence of that right now. Yeah, uh, I, I did uh, check. Uh, as far as the injuries go, nothing, no fractures, anything like that for Thomas uh, Drawl. Uh, yeah. They're still, I think he was going to have uh, checked ligament damage. Yeah, I was about to say, that. there's definitely right. possibilities of that. Because, I mean, I don't remember if it was a, was it a heel hook? Because, I mean, those things can tear stuff up inside yeah, the leg. So. They say that you can do permanent damage with a heel hook before the person even feels pain. Right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, heel hook, and it was it was quick. Yeah, and, and that's a good point about the, the chokes and that sort of thing, too. Um, so, yeah, it's always unfortunate. And, and, and again, I, I, I'm not defending that, that he should have, you know, held on that long. I guess it's hard for me to get more worked up about that because, uh, unfortunately, you kind of get used to that stuff. Not with the UFC, but in MMA in general, there's always, like, those weirdo cases where, like, stuff like this happens. Guys... Guys sometimes hold on to chokes for long, hold on to submissions for too long, punch a guy too many times. So I guess I'm desensitized. I may sound may sound like a you know a worried you know old man or something right. like that, but that's the kind of thing that they'll put on CNN or something yeah. like that. You know, like that's that's kind of the uglier side, and that's what that's what gets the, the proponents of the sport will will use. To say, look, you see this this sport's about for savages, you know, right. just two men going in and ripping each other's legs off. Well, and also, just like, I mean, even within the sport, without getting into that, which, you know, that that is a good point, it's like, what's the point of tapping if they're just going to rip your leg off anyway, right. you know? Like, why should I even bother tapping? Why don't I just, you know, look all manly like Dan Hardy does now yeah. <laughs> and uh, just not tap? I mean, he's going to do the same thing anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was bizarre. And opponent, not pup, pup Yeah, I got you, I got you. Well, it was one of the, uh, it might have been over at Bloody Elbow, I can't remember which website I was looking at, but someone basically pointed out that also you got to consider this took place in New Jersey, which is right next to New York, where they're trying to get MMA legalized still. So, you know, if, mm -hmm. I mean, they held press conferences in New York about UFC 111, that sort of mm -hmm. thing, and uh, there's there's been some, you know, there's been some pushback against legalizing MMA in, in New York, so, you know, may, the, I bet they might have been extra cautious, you know, uh, as regards to, like, you know, people in New York will be looking to the, at this one and being like, oh, well, this is this what this is all about, that sort of thing. You know, the lawmakers, all of that. So, you know, uh, I, I'd say, you know, uh, 
that sort of, you know, holding out the submission might, might could have hurt their cause, but at the same time, you know, that maybe that's why we saw them slapped with the the, the uh, suspension as yeah. well. You know, and, maybe there's more pressure put on them for th- that way. Maybe um, nothing will come of it, you know, as well. Um, and another thing, and another <laughs> thing, I'm not a big fan of New Jersey today. Oh, uh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. They're, uh, Too much fist pumping? They, they just seem like an Alaskan type of audience, you know? They're too drunk, they, you know, <laughs> they don't know the sport well enough, you know, and they're just, they're just screaming, you know, kill, kill, while some people are going, no, skill, skill. Are, are you implying that a majority of fans of our fine uh, Alaska Fighting Championship are dumbasses? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, they don't appreciate Sometimes they it. yell homo at guys who go for a takedown and <laughs> often yell kill him, even though you cannot win a fight by death. And, and uh, then then the crowd reaction was was enough to get the ref to do their bidding. And uh That was the uh, the John Fitch fight, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you get that a couple more times and then you know the audience will think they have something, you know, entitlement. Yeah, <laughs> the audience thinks they have power, which they should not have. They should not have. And yeah, it's uh, that thing. It's uh, This isn't a thumbs up, thumbs down gladiator thing, right. you that, know. That's what we want to avoid and it's that weird mixture of the sport and entertainment. And there's no yeah, the ref should not the ref's job is to enforce the rules and make sure People are, you know, fighting fairly, that sort of thing. Uh, they should not be, you know, succumb to the the will of the people. This is like MMA is not a democracy when it comes to the guy. It's the people <laughs> in the cage who are deciding what happens in the fight. Mm. You, know. you got to embrace the grind, America. It's on the way. That's what everyone's going to be doing. Impressed with some really top-notch wrestling. <laughs> GSP, John Fitch. Grind, grind, punch, punch, punch. Right, grind, yeah. Grind. They're very good at what they do. Sorry, sorry, they didn't decapitate anybody. Uh, since we talked about the John Fitch stuff, should we? Uh, I mean, this fight a week ago was something completely different. It was That's be- true. It was uh, at, at the time it was a number one contendership match. We were yeah. talking about how uh, John Fitch probably isn't going to get the title shot. Yeah. But if he had beaten Tiago Alves, yeah. the original opponent, that might have been a completely different story. Yeah, but what it was two days before the fight, and Tiago Alves failed his uh, a brain his CAT scan. Yeah, he uh, apparently has something messed up with an artery in his brain. Yeah, and it's like the f- the first day there was some talk about like, oh, it was really serious. He can never fight again. And now there, it, it sounds like it might not be nearly as serious. Oh, that's good. I haven't actually heard any uh, updates on it. Last I heard, uh, we may never see him again. Right. Yeah. So let me. Uh, so hopefully that's not the case because while he's never been my favorite fighter, um, he, he's a very good fighter. If uh, he's still an active. MMA fighter, he's probably third in the weight class. If nothing else, he's at least top five. I mean, maybe Jake Shields would be above him still, but, mm. uh, you know, there's not a whole lot of people that are better than him. And he, he's beaten some very legitimate opponents going into the George St. Pierre fight, and he hasn't fought since then. But, uh, yeah, it sounds like um, since, since that the he failed his CAT scan, it sounds like it's going to be. Uh, Tiago Alves should be back. Uh, looks like he was talking uh, to a couple websites, including uh, Fifth Round, and uh, saying basically um, it, it might look like a more minor procedure that he'll have to undergo, and then he should be able to get back in. Some minor brain surgery. Minor brain surgery. <laughs> <laughs> it's not rocket science. I mean, well, you know, it's better than major brain surgery. <laughs> right, exactly. But but you know well, like where he should be able to return as opposed to like oh you can never fight again. Yeah. You know, God forbid you get punched or kicked in the head and your brain explodes. You know. Which would be uh, that'd be pretty brutal. That'll make the papers. <laughs> but that New Jersey crowds would love that, right? <laughs> they sure would, <laughs> yeah. especially if it is out there his ears. If there's no evidence, like it's just a kick, hey. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if John Fitch ends, uh, doesn't get a title shot, which it doesn't sound like, just judging kind of from like the the uh, even at the post fight press conference, Dana White was given a bit of grief. 
you know, not necessarily for his performance, but saying, you know, like, oh, you know, maybe we need to have the uh, the AKA guys fight each other, and there's some uh, back and forth about that, you know. Um, but yeah, hopefully we can get the John Fitch Tiago Alves rematch set again one day. Yeah, you know, depending on how long Alves is out, that sort of thing, and you know that that would help things out. So who knows? Um, yeah, it looks like. I mean, it seems like John Fitch is gonna, just going to. Keep you know. winning, you know, yeah, and if that, he ever I mean, gets a title shot, and maybe yeah. he won't, or and it won't be right. until after George loses it, you know. Right? Yeah, it's definitely one of those uh, one of those things. I mean, you can pull the Yushin Okami, uh, you know, Yushin Okami uh, at a middleweight, you know, just kind of forever was sitting there, was like, hey, you know, maybe give him a shot against Anderson Silva, and he just didn't, yeah. you know, it, he didn't have an appeasing style, so it didn't necessarily really ever happen. And um, maybe it was because the New Jersey audience didn't like him so much, but I really liked that fight. Like, if I was going to fight, you know, I would try to do you use that style of just smothering him and then just, you know, peppering him with uh, with punches. Right, because, again, it's, it's and, you know, I, I never you never want to say, you know, like, someone's scared to stand up, because I don't think that's the case, but it's a conservative approach where you really, like, George St. Pierre brought out, like, the equations and, like, you know, there's scales and all kinds of stuff, you know, like you want to, you want to exploit your opponent's weakness and, um, you know, fight where you have the best percentage chance of, of winning. And, and John Fitch, again, has huge wrestling credentials. He was, you know, wrestling at Purdue in college, that sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, that's his best chance, you know, the, the way he's going to win most fights, you know, the highest percentage chance he has is on the ground. So, um, and as long as he was active and he was moving around and showing his dominance there, I mean, again, it's not as exciting, but it's it's still impressive just to see someone be able to do that to their opponents. And Ben Saunders didn't really have much to offer. He was just kind of, you know, had the butterfly guard out a bit, but it was more he was kind of content to sit there and, you know, maybe absorb what John Fitch was going after and uh, hoping for a stand-up, it seemed. Um, yeah, he didn't really have the most dynamic ground, uh, the, the the best guard out there. So, yeah. I mean, he was certainly looking for the the stand-ups, and he, he got a couple of them, but they certainly weren't enough. Um, yeah, it wasn't the most exciting fight, I thought. Um, yeah. I, I tend to agree with the crowd on that one. Oh, no, I get that. It's understandable for sure, but yeah. Most definitely. It was, was not exciting. <laughs> yeah. it, was, it, was not, it was not pretty. Yeah. And, you know, I love ground fighting, um, but I like ground fighting that's more active. Um, mm. You know, anytime you've got going for submissions, which is why the George St. Pierre fight, uh, even though that was a lot of the same, there was uh, certainly some mixture in there. Uh, George St. Pierre advanced position a lot of time. He had those two submission attempts that were extremely close. Right, and then he, he took the back several times. Normally, when someone takes the back, you're like, oh, this fight's almost over. I mean, it, it can be it can be a bad situation. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot more drama there, whereas John Fitch didn't really ever have... I mean, I think he did more damage to Ben Saunders uh, in a couple stand-up exchanges for the most part where he didn't... I don't know if he really went for any submissions or anything like that. So that's uh, a point well taken. Yeah. Um, and then, mm-hmm. you know, not to be all down on Jersey, but, you know, the, that Jersey guy, he was he was cool. He did a good job. Which uh, Jersey guy are we talking about? There's a, there a few on there. Bleached. Bleached hair. Oh, uh, yeah. Pellegrino. Batman. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was a really cool fight. Yeah. That, that was a perfect example of like you know a really kind of high-paced ground fight. I mean, where it was all crazy back and forth, and you were yeah. very, very active when they went to the ground. Also, Pellegrino pulled off one of my favorite moves, and that's uh, when a guy's got your back and you're standing up. The uh, you know grab the hands and flip forward and just smash his face into the ground. Or or his head, as it were. Luckily, it was not a straight up and down head spike. It, was, uh, <laughs> that, it, was, it looked painful though. That's. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And that's one of those things you're like, who knows how effective it is, but it looks pretty awesome. It looks yeah. good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. A little tip of the hat to that guy. And um... Yeah, I mean, because Fabricio, Fabricio Camois is uh, pretty good on the ground himself. He's no he's no slouch there. So it was, and, you know, for a while it looked like, I mean, uh, Camois was going to had a couple submission attempts himself, I believe. It looked like he had, uh, yeah, well, he had, had Pellegrino in trouble there for a bit. He had know? the standing choke that he was working on yeah. there for quite a while. And then... Uh, yeah, you know, the ground game was certainly uh, back and forth. Although Pellegrino took it towards the end, yeah, he seemed to have a bigger gas tank going on. Much like the fight with the tall guy and the buff guy. Oh goodness <laughs> gracious! That was like because you know oh, that was yeah. uh, on the undercard, and they they showed it they showed it after the main event, and you know showing him like oh this is probably going to be the knockout of the night uh, fight because you normally they show a fight that wins some sort of award. I'm like oh just the way this fight's going it's probably going to be knockout of the night. Turned out to be the fight of the night award winner. Because it was this crazy back and forth match where, uh, yeah, like the first minute of the fight is like, oh, uh, this fight's gonna be done. It's gonna be quick. Uh, not so, not not the case. Yeah, Rodney Wallace and Jared Hammond. So, uh, and uh, yeah, Wallace had uh, was the one packing all that muscle, wasn't he? Yeah. Yep. Ooh, what a little little brick s house he was, huh? <laughs> and Joe Rogan is very critical of that. Um, <laughs> saying that he, it looks really nice without his shirt on, but you're gonna. Gonna gas himself out, which he did. But he had one hell of a heart because no matter how tired he was, he kept going forward. And you know, you just take a little breath and then do some more lunging, and he was still connecting shots. Yeah, it was crazy because yeah, like after the first minute when he kind of like had punched, not punched himself out, but you know, he had kind of uh, gotten past the the the. The berserker mode. Right. Yeah, and I was like, oh well, now that this guy's gonna gonna gas out, and the other guy's gonna win. That wasn't the case either. It still it kept going. You know, I thought it was you know. It it went all three rounds and it was exciting all three rounds. I mean the technique got worse and worse as the fight went on, but it was still you know it was still acting and it was uh, again I think it was the drama between the back and forth and like oh is this guy going to be able to sling together? Um, is Wallace going to be able to uh, throw together a few more heavy punches and, and finish uh, Hammond off? And Hammond took a bunch of shots. I mean I was surprised you know after that first floor that he wasn't out then. I mean those are some uh, pretty pretty heavy shots. So. Uh, Fun stuff. And, and every time he got hit, he kind of looked like he was in trouble. Right, like he got a little a little bit wobbly maybe. And I mean, it, it, it never looked like it was going to be maybe one punch away, but maybe like two or three punches away. And then those two or three punches never quite, you know, came to fruition. So, uh, that was yeah, that was definitely a pretty exciting fight to watch. Um, and, yeah, it was one of those fights where it's like, you know, a, a prelim not only, but it's a prelim between two guys that, you know, don't really – I mean, as far as I know, that was their first fight in the UFC. Um, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't seen either of them fight before. Let me, uh, I'm not sure if they've been, so uh, been around. Th- they're certainly not like guys with any name that you know have been regulated to uh, the undercard status, which does happen. Um, yeah, Rodney Wallace's other fight was at the uh, U- uh, UFC, uh, the fight night, the Ultimate Fighter 10 mm, finale. With a loss to Brian Stan. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, yeah, any any other fights on this card you're looking to? Bocek, I mean that's the only one that, we haven't talked about. Yeah, yet. Bocek and uh, Miller. That was a uh, that was excellent. Yeah, it was good good back and forth, and you know a, a close decision. I mean that could have gone. You can make the argument for either guy taking that fight. I uh, had a Bocek at the end of it actually, which right. I wound up being you know wrong, but um, seemed like it could have gone that way. I think that the judges probably made the right decision going to Miller. But. Right, and I think cases like that, it kind of comes down to, like, Miller almost finished the fight with a submission attempt. I think in the the first round, he had a, threw out a Kimura. And, you know, even though 
Bocek more or less won most of that round, arguably the first round, if you almost finish a fight with a submission, you think that that probably counts a lot in the judge's eyes. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, I mean, but again, very, very, very close fight and very fun to watch. I was kind of, um, you know, I knew Mark, Mark Bocek was a good fighter, but it just kind of what we'd seen from Jim Miller in the past, I thought we it was going to be a, a much more, a, kind of a more of a showcase fight for him, you know, because he has the ground credentials and he'd shown much improved stand-up uh, and Bocek really kind of showed that he had a, he had a bit of spunk in him, you know, he was, he, he was, he was ready to go all three rounds. So it was a very, very entertaining fight. Yeah, it was a good fight. Um, I didn't really watch it with an eye for scoring this uh, this right, one, right. but uh, you know I I kind of had the feeling towards the end of it that that Miller won, but you know had Bojack gotten the the victory, I don't think I would have gotten heartburn out of the deal. It was close enough that it's really hard to make a, a huge case for getting angry about it either way. Right? Uh, did you do guys? And it's tough. I don't know if it's just in Alaska, but like. My TV guide totally lies to me about when the UFC prelims are on. Like, because they, they, they had a the pre, uh, couple prelim fights on Spike this time. Mm. Didn't uh, search yeah, those out. forgot about right. those. No, that's right. I only got to watch half of one because, again, it's, you know. It, my uh, Your TV guy said that it was yeah, going to be on this on, time and it wasn't? On, right, yeah. So, But I've been fooled by this before, so I knew to record a bunch of stuff, but I still ended up missing the entire Nick... Uh, uh, sorry, Nate Diaz versus Rory Markham. Fight. Oh, who won that? Uh, Nate Diaz took yes. it in the first round. Dang it. Ended up swar- swarming. <laughs> oh, the Diaz brothers. Those F the F and Diaz brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let them hear that, man. They'll, uh... <laughs> but yeah, uh, Diaz, uh, his first time up at uh, Welterweight. And, um, didn't sound Mar- like Markham was. I, again, and I missed it because like, my DVR really cut out like five minutes, and it was the five minutes that the fight took. Ah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I missed that. But yeah, it, it really did sound like Diaz just kind of. Uh, was in control most of the fight, and Markham wasn't really in it. I mean, Markham missed weight a lot by oh seven, seven pounds. pounds. Yeah, that's right. Ooh, and that's a big. This isn't oops. the first time he's fought at that. I mean, he fought Dan Dan Hardy at one seventy. Yeah. I mean, this is not the first time he's fought at that weight, but it just sounds like he did not have a good time with the weight cut. And that makes you really, really wonder what happened. Yeah, uh, I mean, I know he was coming back. I think he was coming back from an injury. I mean, I think his last fight in the UFC was against Dan Hardy. Um, that could have something to do with it then. Um, a lot of times when guys miss nope. weight, you hear like, yeah, hurt my foot, couldn't get on the treadmill or, you know, something like that. Right. But, yeah, it sounds like Diaz was uh, did did better at the weight and, you know, showed kind of improved stand-up a little bit at least because um, that was kind of one of the things in his fight against Gray Maynard that we all kind of seem to notice is that, you know, he w- he was landing some shots, but it just wasn't. Mm-hmm. He wasn't uh, yeah, like a, a mosquito in a mosquito net. <laughs> bing, bing, <laughs> bouncing off. Right, like maybe the technique was. But it sounds like he improved there. Uh, the other one, uh, Ricardo Almeida uh, took uh, took out uh, Matt, Matt Brown. Brown with a uh, rear naked choke with a body triangle. Ooh, on, so make it especially painful. Yeah. So the the immortal. Uh, Mortal is no more. The immortal has died. Yeah, oh, and he's fine. Or he fell asleep. Yeah. He fell asleep. or maybe yeah. tapped out. Yeah, and I think those are the only, uh, you know, because we saw the a couple other the prelims on. So really, the only one we didn't see is the Matt Riddle fight versus Greg, Greg Soto. Soto, which um, it sounds like Riddle was winning that fight, but uh, and he he won, but on DQ. Uh, just kind of looking at what happened, you know, the online play by plays that sort of thing. Uh, Greg Soto ended up landed an illegal up kick in Ooh. the third round uh, when uh, Riddle was, you know. A grounded opponent, still so uh, uh, unpleasant, and hopefully uh, Matt Riddle is okay from that. But yeah, I mean he got the win, and you know must from, have been yeah pretty much knocked out from it then. Because I mean usually you'll get deducted a point or something, but 
Right. Well, and it sounds like, you know, just, again, kind of from what, I, what I've read about it, uh, you know, Riddle initially kind of said, he's like, oh, yeah, let's, let's go, let's keep fighting, you know. Um, but then he stopped and basically said he couldn't continue. So there was like a bit of confusion almost, and it sounded like he just wasn't all there at yeah. that point. Yeah, well, it says here he, he yeah. didn't appear to remember getting kicked, which Ooh. is a bad sign. Right. Right, so uh, that that's no good. Um, but yeah, he did get the win by disqualification, and it sounds like he had been winning the fight until that point. Uh, and again, hopefully he's okay. Um, we, we shall find out. Yeah. But, but sometimes people manage to uh, get more or less yeah. knocked out and uh, continue to fight on quite effectively. Yeah. When Matt Hughes fought Matt Serra last year, uh, oh, it, they, had the accidental, had they had the <laughs> accidental headbutt where Matt Hughes goes down yeah. and he's scrambling for a while and Sarah's chasing him around the octagon and yeah. th- they survive the round. And between rounds, you can overhear Matt Hughes saying, did I get knocked down? Yeah. Like, what happened? And he just had no memory of it all. And even then, he didn't know it was a headbutt until Joe Rogan pointed that out in the post-fight uh, interview. So, I mean, for all practical purposes, Matt Hughes was knocked out. He had time missing from his brain. Yeah. Um but he still managed to, to fight to a win. But, you know, if you are a referee and you know this is happening, that's certainly a justification to uh, not make it continue. Right, and the doctors checked him out and everything. Um, so I think that's basically the whole UFC 111 card. Excellent. Uh, I mean, we did really quick. I mean, we talked about where Shane Carwin's going. Um, and it sounds like, you know, there, there might be, you know, Cain Velasquez might just be waiting around to fight who's whoever wins Carwin versus Lesnar. Um, so I, I was thinking, I mean, do we want to see um, Mir fight either Velasquez or, or Dos Santos, or do we want to have one guy kind of just wait for his next title shot and maybe one of them fight Mir or fight keep fighting? Because we, we've got to this point where we've got several several heavyweights who are arguably can all make cases for being contenders, you know, for the for the championship. Do we want to have them? You know, have another fight in between now and whenever, whenever they fight. You know, it would be towards the end of the year, I would imagine. If you know, fighting the winner of Carwin and Lesnar. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of like again, not a bad a bad situation to have where you have several contenders. But I mean, what do, what do you do now? Do we have Frank Mir fight one of those guys? Or yeah, I wonder if what if Mir you know beats him? You right. know, like yeah, what yeah. what if Frank Mir beats Junior Dos Santos? You right. know, then where does that leave Mir feeling yeah. entitled for another? You know, title shot. Because yeah. he will feel it. Yeah, he will feel entitled. He always feels. He always like he's <laughs> All kinds of entitlements. Yeah. Um, one thing I'm wondering is how long uh, Mir's medical suspension is. Right. Right. Uh, has that come out? Because we'll I, I mean, I that could be a long time from now. He uh, got knocked out pretty bad. Right. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess if it came down to like having to have some of the the, uh, the potential contenders fight, you know, I think uh, Velasquez has made his case much stronger at this point, just mm-hmm. for who he's fought. Yeah. For for having a title shot next. And again, you know, I'd love to see him fight more, but if he if he has to wait around for the winner of Lesnar Carwin, uh, I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, that'd be a pretty good match yeah. seeing him and uh, him and Carwin, you know, yeah. and, go but against I, each other. Yeah, and I, I'd really like to see. You know, I think Mir versus uh, Dos Santos would be a lot of fun because uh, it would be you know we two guys who are you know Dos Santos has great stand up from what we've seen, and again, it's all, we've always had that thing about you know. Uh, has he been tested on the ground yet? And yeah. there'd be a guy to do that. So well, he might be. I mean, we kind of thought that Gonzaga was going to do that, and uh, Dos Santos just did his spin escape and got right <laughs> out of it. This is true. This um, is true. I think Mir is probably. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily better on the ground than Gonzaga because Gonzaga is a, a really right. high level jujitsu guy, but Mir is more aggressive. Yeah, Mir is uh, probably the most aggressive jujitsu guy. 
um, maybe even in the UFC. Um, he He's not necessarily the most technical, although he is very technical, but he, he is out jujitsu guys who should have better jujitsu than him just because of his... Um, you know his, his balls out style of jujitsu in. Um, you know a lot of guys, jujitsu is kind of about timing and right. doing this and doing this. And Frank Mir is like, screw this, I'm just gonna run here and break your arm real fast. <laughs> um, I mean, w- I think it was his first UFC fight was against uh, Roberto Traven, mm. um, who was supposed to be. I don't think he was a world champion jujitsu, but he was. You know, he was a really high jiu-jitsu guy, and then Mir was like a purple belt or something. I don't think he was even a brown belt yet. And uh, Mir broke his arm in the first round. Yeesh. Uh, and that just, you know, that says something for his aggression, and uh, uh, that seems to work very well for him in a lot of cases. It's worked against him, too, and, uh, in his Ian Freeman fight. But, uh, but yeah, it would be interesting to see how he matches, like, because that kind of more aggressive style matches up against someone like Dos Santos, that sort of thing. Exactly. Um, yes, uh, yep, submission armbar, Roberto Travin, Travin, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And UFC 34. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Those were, that was still the dark ages, right? Where, like, human cockfighting and all that good stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the beginning of the Zufa era. Okay. That was, like, the third or fourth uh, Zufa yeah. show. Yeah. Um, yeah, you met, you asked about, you know, it maybe how long it'll be before we see Frank, Frank Mir fight again, you know, depending on the medical suspensions. Uh, it looks like, um, I'm looking at a bleacher report saying, uh, it looks like a, a 30-day suspension, you know. The, wow. Yeah, nothing nothing serious, but just the 30-day medical suspension for precautionary reasons, which is kind of the typical. Now, can he train during that? It, it really depends. Um, it doesn't it doesn't specify in here, but a lot of it is like, you know, uh, here's your suspension, but if you get doctor approval, you can spar, that sort of thing, or some of it is like, you know, blah, uh, how this many days, no contact, and then, you know, like after this many days, you can go spar again, that sort of thing. So it really depends. Uh, and, again, the thing I'm looking at doesn't doesn't specify. Yeah. The longest suspension was, um, it was, uh, well, I guess Matt Riddle technically is indefinitely pending a, a CT scan because yeah. of the legal upkick he took. But most likely that won't be longer than the uh, 90 days for not releasing the heel hook by Paul, Paul Harris. Right, yeah, Paul Harris is, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, a disciplinary suspension. And then, you know, his his opponent who he hit the heel hook on, Thomas Drawl, was uh, indefinite suspension that's pending a medical examination. They're saying an X-ray, which that showed no fractures, but they're also going to, again, be looking for ligament damage. And uh, I think that'll be coming out in the next few days, but uh, mm. yeah. So nothing, nothing too horrendous for the most part for medical suspension. Sometimes you see like you know half a year or something like that. Yeah, I'm really actually kind of surprised that Mira didn't get a longer one. Right. And Dan Hardy didn't have any arm suspensions, so good on him. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't know the meaning. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, oh man, just uh, my final thoughts on UFC 111. Uh, you know, you forget sometimes GSP is Canadian, but then. Uh, here he comes, winning uh, in dominating fashion, you know, taking several 10-8 rounds against Dan Hardy on some judges' scorecards and apologizing. <laughs> like, yes, he, he really is. He's There's his Canadianness. So. Interesting stuff. Felt like he let his fans down, apparently, <laughs> yep. by only kicking his ass. But. Right, but not, not knocking him out and not breaking his arm. So, uh, we'll, and he we'll probably s- did. You know, I'm thinking that the average UFC fan now wants to see St. Pierre's head, you know, not winning in... Spectacular fashion, everything you know. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the. I mean, because that's Anderson Silva got a bit of grief when you know he didn't uh, you know murder uh, a couple of his opponents. So, 
Some people want him to go up and wait, but well, that's not going to happen. Well, the thing with GSP is he used to be a finishing machine until the Matt Sarah fight. Right. Well, I mean, I, I agree, but I mean, like, he, he he's he's outboxed guys who aren't necessarily good good style. I mean, he beat up Matt Hughes on the feet, which... Yeah, but I mean, he, he used to... Uh, I mean, he submitted Matt Hughes also, who yeah, yeah. Uh, has gone on to, uh, or, you know, before that, had been doing all kinds of great stuff on the ground. He, uh, you know, he practically submitted Hoist Gracie, which is uh, a nice feather in the cap. Yep. And, uh, you know, he had been out wrestling guys all this time, but he had also been putting them away. Um, you know, uh, Frank Trigg, uh, Sean Shirk, all these guys. And uh, since his loss to Dan... Or to, to Matt Sarah, mm-hmm. he, he seems like he has a more uh, conservative approach, which uh, you know, I mean, it, it's been working for him. But he wants to yeah. win all of his matches now, <laughs> not just most. Right. Uh, so, do we want to touch on any other upcoming events? Um, yeah, in the next the, day or so. The UFC Fight Night, which is we're in podcast land, so it's going to be one of those weird things. Depending when you listen to this, this may or may not have already happened. But yeah, the UFC uh, Fight Night. I think it's, yeah, Fight 21. 21, yeah. which is uh, on Wednesday, the 31st of March. So, uh, that, uh, man, the UFC has kind of been going nonstop with the, I mean, because we had the UFC on Versus prior to this UFC pay-per-view, and then we got a fight night, and yeah. I'm, but then there's another event coming up, too, I believe. Oh, I'm, I'm saying they had four events in 20 days or something. Oh, yeah, it's the uh, Abu Dhabi one is coming up, but that, that could be for our next episode. That's going to hurt the wallet. <laughs> oh, but yeah, we got um, in the main event Kenny Florian versus Takanori Gomi, which um, depending on who wins that could be the next guy to fight BJ Penn. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, Florian still—it's again the uh, you know has he changed enough? You know, even if he's the second best, is that? Yeah. It? But he's already lost once, so he he probably has more work to do to get a rematch than say someone who hasn't fought BJ Penn yet would have to do. Well, Takanorogomi would also be a rematch actually, but that wouldn't be but a not UFC. The UFC so it yeah. count. <laughs> that was uh <laughs> no good point. Good the point. two of them fought on Rumble on the Rock, I think it was uh in 2004, 2003. It was a long time ago. And BJ Penn won that one in, in quick fashion uh submission I think in the first round. And uh you know, in my opinion, that's uh actually more impressive than uh uh the Kenny Florian one because that was uh, BJ Penn before uh, long before he was in the prime that he is in now where uh, you know BJ Penn you know, he's always been really good but now he's got just this air of unstoppability mm-hmm. and uh, you know this was before that he uh, you know he had fought some kind of half-assed matches uh, before that he had his draw with Cal Uno he barely squeaked by Matt Serra uh, he had lost to Jens Pulver um, and, and he had some outstanding wins too, but he wasn't just super dominant like he is now. And uh, you know, after that fight, Gomi went on to you know have a, a great run in Pride to be considered by many to be the number one lightweight in the world. So um, you know now it's like BJ's stock has gone up and Gomi's stock has gone down since then. Right. So it's, it's not the Pride heyday anymore. And uh, yeah, but I, I think there is a benefit to having it be. Um, you know, it wasn't a well average. I mean, compared to now, you know, people, most modern kind of like casual MMA fans wouldn't remember that Gomi fought BJ Penn. I mean, again, oh. I kind of spaced out until yeah. you pointed it out. But yeah, it like, and we joked about it, but literally, like, you can almost make the argument if it didn't happen to UFC, it, it didn't matter. And yeah. obviously it does from a perspective of, you know, wins and losses and stuff. But as far as, you know, pay per view buys for the UFC, yeah. a lot of people aren't going to remember that they fought. Um, 
but I think this fight with Kenny Florian is going to show us a lot about Gomi because, uh, I mean, I don't even know that he's really got a whole lot left in terms right, of yeah. uh, top competition. And Florian is, I mean, he's easily top five. Yeah, he's still he's still adding new aspects to his game after that loss to BJ Penn and came back against, uh, I think it was his comeback fight against Clay Guida and, yeah. and you know, show, showed improved stand-up. Knocked him out. Yeah. So, uh, lo- well, you know, looked, looked much better in stand-up, but again, you know, Compared to BJ Penn, who knows how he'd, he'd stack up again? But uh. yeah, so so he may be in a, a John Fitch like situation where he's uh, he's number two in the world, but but never really uh, is going to be able to get over that hump. And uh, yeah, there's absolutely no shame in losing to BJ Penn, and uh, it's going to be really hard to to ever get another title shot probably for him because that was actually his second title shot. It was probably yeah. his first deserved title shot, but he did get that one against Sean Shirk yeah. several years ago, and he ran off a nice win streak after that and really worked his way up the ladder and earned the second one. And, but, and he does he does have that, uh, he can kind of call upon his rec and be like, hey, I finished fights, and that was one of the things, you know, you heard endlessly in the promos before the BJ Penn <laughs> Florian fights, like, you know, you want someone who finishes fights, and, you know, that's... Yeah, he might end up in that kind of John Fitch scenario, but at the same time, he does have that going for him that, you know, he, he gets submissions. He gets, you know, he, he does have a few decisions on his record, but, yeah, he gets well, yeah, submissions it, and knockouts and stuff. So it, it certainly happens to everyone here yeah. and there where they don't – I mean, nobody finishes every fight right. with their Shane Carwin. <laughs> uh, even Frank Amir has a decision on his record. Yes. <laughs> yes. Against Christensen, of all people. Dang Christensen. Who? <laughs> Embarrassing. But <laughs> – uh, yeah, Kenny Florian is outstanding, and I would fully expect him to win this fight. I'd be, yeah, I'd be pretty yeah. surprised if uh, if Gomi pulled this one off. Yeah, um, that we got a you know Ultimate Fighter season ten winner Roy Nelson. Yes. Ah, yes. Get to see him go at it again. Taking Who's... on uh, the skyscraper Stefan Struve, which yeah. will this be one of those fights where you know people who don't follow him will be watching like, how do they allow these two guys to fight? Because Roy Nelson is he's uh, he's He's full body. Yeah, he's full. He's got some uh, chunk in the trunk. Right, yeah, and so it's like you know from and Stefan Struve's like a build, a pterodactyl. Right, but he, he's so it's one of those guys. It looks like a mismatch. It's gonna know. be the fat guy against the tall guy. You can just right. say it. Yeah, Laurel yeah. and Hardy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should be fun. Right. I mean, you the know, I don't know. Turn out in different ways. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> but yeah, I mean. Uh, I, I'm this, I'll be interested to see how yeah. how this goes down. At this point, I'd kind of give it to Roy Nelson. I know. Uh, yeah. Really? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is this going to be one of those things where we're all going to be surprised that fat guys can be good at MMA, too? I mean, it, he's, he's they, a It's been proven that he, yeah. they're not, <laughs> except for him. You know, veterans doing pretty well. Well, but, uh, he, he is the veteran yeah. in terms of, uh, like, experience um, with, like, big fights. Yeah. But he pointed out that uh, Struve actually has more fights under his belt. Yeah, that's a good point. They were just, uh, you know, maybe not against as t- as high of competition right. as uh, Roy Nelson had, had fought when he was in the IFL. I mean, IFL is not, or was not, I should say, uh, the, the you know Premier League. There weren't a whole lot of great guys there, but there were some pretty good guys out there. You fought Brett, Ben Rothwell, and I think yeah. uh, Christoph Szczynski was in in his record somewhere. So, I mean, he fought some pretty legit guys. And, and Stephen uh, Struve's biggest fight is a uh, loss against Junior Dos Santos. Yes. I mean, name-wise. I mean, he's, he's beat Paul Buontello recently. Yeah, so, so th- that was a nice little feather in his cap. So, in terms of big-name fights, Roy Nelson's got the edge, but he's, yeah, he's yeah. not as big of a veteran as, as people let on. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, that arm span will probably be, you know, like yeah. he's going to have to really get in there. There's going to be some certain, uh, certainly some big reach, I and mean, he's going to have like a foot on Roy Nelson. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting. But yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I, at this point, you know, Stefan Struve hasn't. I mean, I, I guess Roy Nelson is good enough on the ground. Um, where I think he could manage against Struve, and I think he does have, you know, aside from the reach differential, I mean, I think he's proven that he, you know, got got that knockout power, got got pretty good stand-up. So, I mean, at least in my eyes, I could, I could see him taking this. But Struve is quite possibly the only person in the UFC who can close his guard around Roy Nelson. <laughs> that That is an excellent point. Excellent point. So it'll be interesting to see that. Uh, anything else on there of a... Uh... Of note? Yeah, I mean, you got uh, Nate Quarry fighting uh, Jorge Rivera, I believe. Yes. Um, so that's, a, you know, Quarry's one of those guys who, you know, hey, it's the guy from The Ultimate Fighter, the good season. <laughs> uh, he always puts on pretty entertaining fights, whether it's win or lose or uh, yeah, knock the crap out by Rich Franklin. He's fun to watch. Uh, it looks like they got both the winners from Season 9 of The Ultimate Fighter, uh, Ross Pearson and Andre Winner. Yes. Yeah, Pearson's taking on Dennis Siver and uh, Andre Winner, uh, Jafiello Oliveria. Yeah, and there's a couple just, you know, names out there. Uh, for those kicking it old school, Cal Uno is fighting. Hey! Yeah, he's still around. Oh, he's taking on Glayson Tebow, who... Tebow! Uh, he's, he's a big guy. Yeah, I believe he's the first 200-pound lightweight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's uh, another one of those guys who Joe Rogan will probably talk about him carrying a lot of muscle around. But, yeah, he is a big dude. It cuts a lot of weight. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see, um, you know, how that affects him stamina-wise, that sort of thing. Uh, you also got Yushin Okami fighting as well uh, versus Lucio Linaharis. Uh Jacob Volkman, who uh, people probably don't recognize the name by now, but uh, he, it's he, Christmas. Yeah, yeah, Jacob Christmas Volkman, and he was taking the, he uh, one of one of uh, Paulo Tihago's uh, conquests. Yeah, he also just recently yeah. lost yeah. to Martin Katman. Right, so yeah, he's he's taking on some uh, top competition or quality competition at least, even though he hasn't come out on top. You know, people recognize him. Uh, he mm-hmm. he looks like one of the nicer guys. You know, because some people like really have like you know when the UFC brings up the the uh, tail of the tape, and some guys are like, oh, I'm gonna murder this guy, and Jacob Volkman's like, hey, what's up? <laughs> I'm gonna fight somebody. He, he, but uh, yeah, so that, that'll be fun to see. He, he's got a pretty solid ground game. He just, you know, got knocked around the ring uh, by Paul Tiago stand-up wise. So very interesting yeah. stuff. I mean, this is a yeah. I mean, again, not a huge name recognition, but uh, yeah. Also, we got Robert Emerson, who was on the season. Five, I believe, of the Ultimate Fighter, and was also in one of the coolest finishes in mixed martial arts history. Really, when uh, Gray Maynard picked him up over his head and slammed him down, and I believe broke a rib of uh, Robert Emerson. So Emerson taps out due to uh, having a broken rib, and uh, Gray Maynard knocked himself out doing the slam. So it was a Hooray. double knockout, and uh, it was ruled a no contest. That is very difficult. All that for nothing, huh? <laughs> and no one wins. You got yeah. a broken rib. He's knocked out. <laughs> and Gray really tried to uh, to plead his case to Joe Rogan. Uh, when uh, when they were announcing it, and Joe showed him on the replay, like, no, you're knocked out. Look up there. He's like, oh man, I wasn't knocked out. I was just trying to lay down for a second, <laughs> resting, <laughs> <laughs> just resting. Yeah, no, uh, very good. Good to see. Uh, uh, Robert Emerson looks like he's coming off of his win over Philip uh, Nover back at uh, UFC 109. So uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of uh, again, not 
not necessarily, and it's a fight night card, so you don't expect to see huge name value on here, but a lot of solid fights. This could be a lot of, a lot of fun. Two hours? Is that how, how long this, uh, these things are? Generally speaking, yeah, I think it's two hours, and it will be leading into Ultimate Fighter Season 11, Episode 1. Oh! Team Punishment versus Team Pit. Yeah, so it's time. This Wednesday, the Whoa. debut. Are you not excited, Tobin? I'm not excited. <laughs> are, are you, you don't like reality TV all that much? Uh, Especially when it comes to fighters? The Ultimate Fighter used to be like a really good breeding ground for, uh, hey, I watched your video. Back off. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, the, the first couple seasons of The Ultimate Fighter seemed to be kind of like a breeding ground for like up-and-coming prospects. But at this point, I mean, they don't really need the show. And, and again, it, it is a good way to build name value, but at this point, you know, the UFC can just sign prospects. They don't need to have the show to bring them in. Um, yeah, so I'm excited. From the prospect of the drama aspect, I can't wait to see Tito and Chuck talk crap to each other. That'll be entertaining. But, I mean, as, as far as seeing necessarily a bunch of quality up-and-comers, I don't, I'm not super excited. Yeah, and you, and you don't really take too much stock in the, uh, in the training uh, portions of it because it's well, pretty much the same every year. Well, or? you don't see much of that. I mean, because, yeah, the first couple seasons, you, you got you got to see their personalities and what they were like in the house, but you didn't get to see, you know, kind of fighters grow and develop in, in training a bit. Now it's just kind of like, oh, here's five minutes of training. Uh, oh, and here's some guys pissing each other's food. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but, but you never, it could it could be different each season. But it, I think just kind of some of the appeal for me has worn off at least. When was but. the one good season of the Ultimate Oh, he's referring to season one. season one. Okay. Which was the best. Yeah. Um, th- there's certainly like some ups and downs. Um, some seasons are better than others, but the, yeah, the, the first one. I don't think anyone's going to argue with that. And it's also had the, the best turnout in terms of uh, lasting competitors. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of big names still that were uh, competitors on that season. Forrest Griffin, uh, Diego Sanchez, Kenny Florian, um, Mike Swick, uh, Josh Koscheck. That was uh, a very successful season in terms of I mean, people who lost are still yep. in the UFC. Uh, Chris Lieben and Stefan Bonner, not as big of names in the UFC, right. but they were both on the season. They still got jobs. They still have a job. And you look at uh, you know a lot of other seasons and... Um, you know, like the winners are still around, right? And maybe one or two of the the other guys, you know. But uh, there's not a lot of not a lot of depth there. But you know, it could be different this season. Who knows? But yeah, probably I, not. It looks like right. it's going to be even more drama between Chuck right. Liddell. It's right. going to be, you know, the season about Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. Chuck Liddell de- dealing yeah. with being past his prime. Hopefully, you know, maybe we'll get uh, him to uh, admit it. Maybe right. you know, and then Tito being. Asking being Tito, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, th- they say that there is a, an outstanding group of guys this time. Yeah. We'll see. They've got a different format this time around, which I think is interesting. Apparently, there's 28 guys, which I don't know how that's going to work. There's going to have to be some sort of elimination, but you know, typically uh, things double. You know, like there's one finalist, so there's two. You know, or there's one winner, so there's two finalists. There's four semifinalists, you know, and it goes in double. So four, eight, sixteen. There's usually sixteen guys in the house. In previous uh, seasons, they've had to eliminate somebody to get out of the house. So there was thirty-two. So I'm not really sure where the number twenty-eight comes in. It sounds like maybe some people are going to get buys, but they they have said that there's going to be a new format. So it sounds like maybe some people might get eliminated without fighting. 
I'm I'm not really sure, but that should be interesting to see how that plays out. We'll probably figure it out on the the first episode here on Wednesday. So by the time you hear this, you yeah. might already know. And maybe they'll bring, like the, uh, <laughs> maybe they'll bring back the team challenges from season one, which is one of the many things you could you could mock the first season for is having uh, to carry Randy Couture on a chair through the water. Yeah. <laughs> although, although while they were completely uh, had nothing to do with mixed martial arts, some of them were pretty fun. Oh, in, indeed they were, yes. Um, I would not disagree there. And then just watching the, the aftermath. Um, we were watching on, on the first season, uh, Forrest Griffin, was uh, he and, and uh, Sam Hoger were on a team, and, and they won something where they had to carry a bunch of bottles of water, uh, of UFC brand water, by the way, up a staircase, and, and you know, they won, so they got to pick the next fight. And they're in the room, and, and Sam Hoger is bragging about how it was his brains that, that made the team win. And Oh, Sam Hoger. And Chuck Odell says, like, you just made Forrest do all the work. <laughs> See, smart. Way to go, smart guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, really quick, um, we mentioned it for like five seconds last week because we were previewing a lot of talking about last uh, the UFC fight night on, on versus and then the upcoming UFC. Yes, and, we were. And there was a tri- strike force challengers on Friday night. And again, we're not going to need to go into depth about it, but um, you know, there's the main event was Levar Johnson versus Loahia Mahi. It was a heavyweight fight. Not not that impressive. Uh, Wait, George Bush fought. Yeah, yeah. George Bush fought, lost to Abongo Humphrey, Ron Abongo Humphrey. It, it wasn't George W. Bush, yeah, though. George Bush the third. He's a fighter. Stop. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <Yes>. Really? <laughs> yeah. A member of the Bush family? Right. Huh. No, yeah. not. Okay. Bush Bush okay. <laughs> well, he just has the same yeah. name. He, he is a member of a Bush family. Right. Not the <laughs> not the famous Bushes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, not 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 too impressive in the main event. It was uh, it was kind of your typical bad heavyweight fight. Where you know, like some big punches start in the beginning, and then a couple minutes in, like, oh, oh, we're really tired. <laughs> Let's just kind of wing punches at each other until one of us falls over. And yeah, Lavar Johnson got the win in the second round with the TKO punches. Um, yeah, Ron Humphrey submission guillotine choke over George Bush in the first round. Uh, Andre Galval took a uh, decision over Luke Stewart. Uh, the, the the fight that impressed me, or the two fights that kind of impressed me the most, was uh, Misha Tate. Taking a victory over uh, Zoila Frosto uh, in, a, in a women's fight, uh, she got an armbar submission in the second round. And um, Misha Tate has already fought and lost to Sarah Kaufman, who's the women's 135 champ. But you know she's four or five fight win streak now, and um, she was able to get. Uh, she was one of the few people who's been able to take uh, Sarah Kaufman down. Um, and the other argument you can make for that, or her, making her case for a rematch there for the women's championship, is that. Uh, when they she fought Sarah Kaufman the first time, it was three minute rounds as opposed to the five minute rounds. Mm. And you know, the, you al- always make the argument that grapplers have an advantage in longer fights uh, if you can get someone down and work and take your time. Yeah, Misha Tate's been able to w- pull off some pretty awesome submissions. And then uh, the other fight I saw was Justin Wilcox putting it on Shamar Bailey, um, despite a few uh, blown uh, eye poke calls from the ref. Uh, <laughs> he put on a pretty pretty. Good performance, just you know, a lot of a nice mixture of punches and kicks, and so put it on his opponent. So it, it was a it was a fun card, and you know, nothing nothing to write home about, but some entertaining stuff if you uh you know needed a break downtime between UFC stuff last week. So. Excellent, I Yay. need showtime. All right, well, thanks so much for joining us. We'll be back next week with wrap ups and wrap downs and all the uh, mixed martial arts news that. Uh, you're too lazy to look up on the internet before we get on it. All right, uh, we're on iTunes here at MMA Torch. Uh, you can also leave a comment. Please go to the forum, 
Facebook, Twitter, we're uh, we're all up in those good things. So until next time, I'm Greg Rowan. I'm Tobin Shelby. And I'm Matt Collins. Thanks for being here. So much MA. Had some opinions. Yeah. Ooh. So you're starting to get emotionally invested, huh, Matt? Embrace the grind! Yeah, I gotcha.